we are finishing Perik Vav and Yoshua. Perik Vav describes the conquest of Yericho, uh, the ritual of marching around seven times, seven days, seven times, the shofaros, the f- falling of the walls, and then the conquest of the city. At the very end, the very end, the Yoshua decrees that he made them, he adjured them, Bayash by Yoshua, Bayash by Yoshua. He said, Aru Ha'ish, Pasuk Havav, Cursed be the man, Lefnei Hashem, Asher Yakum Mubana, Asher Yerazot, Cursed is he who will rebuild the city. His children will die. His oldest son will die when he lays the foundation. His sons will continue to die. His youngest son will die when he puts up the when he puts up the gates for the final step. So we were discussing previously the fact that uh, in in Sefer Malachim we are told that indeed a man named Chiel in the time of King Ahab and Elio. A man named Chiel did indeed build Yericho, and Baviram Bechoro Yisuda, and sure enough, his oldest son Abiram died when he laid the foundation of the Seguv Siro Hitzim Blasen, and his youngest son Seguv died when he put up the gates. Kidvar Hashem, Ashadibri Yad Yeshua Benun, as Hashem had said, that again, it doesn't say explicitly here that this was Hashem's command. We discussed this on and off, that whether it was Yeshua's own initiative or Hashem had said so, but uh, this was the Kidvar Hashem, Ashadibri Yad that don't do this, curse to see who does it, and sure enough, Chiel paid for it dearly with the loss of his children. So that there are a few other questions I would like to discuss. So we, we noted that there is an approach of Chazal that there were actually two, two aspects to the harem of Yo, to the curse of Yoshua. One was that they couldn't rebuild Yericho itself. The other was they couldn't build any city and call it Yericho. There are actually the Gemara and Sanhedrin, and there are actually various other there are actually various other midrashim as well. That the there, 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 are, there are other midrashic comments as well that he actually did the second. He built another city and called it Yericho. He bring there's a Tosefta in Sanhedrin. I saw brought Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Omer Lo Osabana. He did not rebuild Yericho itself. El Acheres Bana and and Yushalmi has that Lo Osabana El Acheres Banu. So we have we have these various traditions of the Bavli, the Yushalmi, the Tosefta. That there were two components to the to the to the to the curse, and Chiel did the Bavli itself says that Chiel was wondering, is that really what Yeshua did when he saw that his children had died? The, the Bavli seems to imply at one point that Chiel didn't realize that was the curse. Uh, others indicate that he was influenced by Achav, who was a terrible Russia. He was a Russia, he didn't care about Yeshua's uh, curse. Be that as it may, the Chazal understand that there were actually two components to the curse, and that Chiel built a different city and called the Yericho and that's why and but that was also part of the curse and that's why his sons died a different location yeah so um, I think it would have been inside of Israel I'm not certain but I right right so there, there, there are a lot of cities in the US which are named after uh, cities in Israel Bethlehem uh, Jericho. There, there, there are all kinds of um, there are all kinds of cities that the devout Christians in, in the United States named after uh, named after. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole list, but I think there are a lot you can find. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they're talking about Eretz uh, Israel here. So there's a question we may have touched on last week. I want to elaborate on a little more, which is we have the, the modern authors have noted that we that there is ample evidence from Tanakh as well as from the literature of Chazal that Jews did live in Yericho, that, 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 in the time of the, that in the time of Tanakh and later in the time of Chazal, that there was a you know, living, thriving Jewish community in Yericho. 
So, for example, if we have in uh, we we have. Uh, we, there were Bnei Hanavim in the time of Elio and Elisha later. After the story, there were Bnei Hanavim who were in Yericho. It says that uh, it says that when, when Zerubbabel brought back uh, from Golis Bavel, it says there were Bnei Yericho. There were 345 Bnei Yericho. It says the men of Yericho helped Nehemiah build uh, the wall of Yerushalayim in the beginning of the Second Temple. So there, there, and in Chazal, we have a number of cases. There's a, there's a mission in Tzachim, Mishnah or Bryson Tzachim, that says there were six things, six, six uh, you know, controversial or you know, provocative things that the Anshe Yericho did. Six, three of them the Chacham agreed to, three of them they didn't agree to. There were Jews living in Yericho. We have, we, there, there are stories about... Uh, there are stories about... Um, but the Anshe Yericho did three things, three things they protested, three things they didn't protest. There are... Uh, there are yes yeah, so that's right yeah that, 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 that's, what, that's what we'll get to in a moment yeah that, no, that, that's good yeah that, 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 that's the key point that, that's what we're going to get to in a moment so there are um, so right so when we, we, we has, again we have other stories in the Talmud it says in Sota brings a bride so that when Chagas Zakari Malachi died it says that uh, bring, it brings a story there was no more Nebuah but there was still Baskal a lesser form of Nebuah heavenly voices it says once there was uh, Chachamim were in the Aliyah space Guria Yericho. They were together in a certain certain building in Yericho, in an attic in Yericho, and a Baskel came and said something. Gemara in Tainus says there were twenty four Mishmaros in Eretz Yisrael and twelve in Yericho. So the Gemara said no, there were there, there were 12, 12 of the twenty four were in Yericho. So again, there was a lot of stuff going on in Yericho. Then there was uh, there, the Yericho was a, a living Jewish city for uh, biblical late, later biblical period and in, in, in the period of the Talmud. So despite the curse against building Yericho, Yericho was actually a living city at some point. So how does that work? So one approach is the approach that Daniel said that the that the prohibition was against building Yericho, the, the act of building. Once it was built, there was no there, there was no further prohibition against living there and inhabiting the city. The, the, this is already mentioned by Chazal. This idea already appears in some of the sources I mentioned earlier. I did not look this up. I did not see the primary sources, but in one article on this topic, they bring the Toseftim Sanhedrin. I mentioned earlier, Bishon ben Lazar Omer, that Chiel built a different city and called Yericho, but Mishanivnesa, Hutra Leishiva, once it was built, it was permitted to live there, and it brings the pasuk Vayigshu bnei Hanaviim Asher Yericho Elisha in the time of Elisha, a few years after, a little bit after the story of Elio, Elisha uh, was Elio's successor. It says the bnei Hanaviim Asher Yericho. They, they they went to Elisha. Surely they wouldn't have lived there if it was uh, if that was against the curse. So it must be that Misha Nivnasa once Chiel did this terrible thing and built it, built it, but they were allowed to profit. They were allowed to live in the city. The so Yushalmi says the same thing. The that the Yishalmi says, that the, that the, once it was built, it was permitted to live there. And, then, and the Radak, the Radak mentions this briefly, he doesn't cite the Chazal directly, but the Radak mentions this briefly in Sefer Malachim, in the story of Chiel. It says, the Radak says that the Yericho was similar to an Irhani Dachas. He says that he says that Irenidachas was the idolatrous city where the idolatry was not confined to a few individuals. It was the, the entire city, a rove of the city, committed idolatry. But besides punishing the sinners, we also have to burn the city and destroy the whole city. Yericho, they treated like an Irenidachas, so they, they couldn't build it. However, he says, 
the same language basically as Chazal in these uh, similar language to Chazal in, the, in these Tosefta and Yerushalmi that once it was built there was no Israel to live there so that's why it shouldn't have been built but once it was built once it was built there was no further Isser in living there there are there the, and, and the, there are other approaches as well Rameer Orbach, great Talmud Chacham in Yerushalayim, the author of the Imre Bina, the, 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 I think the author of the Imre Bina, uh, Reb Chaim Berlin, son of the Nitziv, the famous Talmud Chacham, the, the son of the Nitziv, the, the, the one who the Yeshiva, Chaim, the Yeshiva Chaim Berlin is named after. So they write, they, they write that the, they paskin that the, that, that you're even allowed to, re, you're even allowed to continue to build the city. Once it was rebuilt, maybe Shalok Adin, but once it was rebuilt, the, the curse is over. At that point, you, 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 you can continue to build it further. That you, you shouldn't do the original rebuilding, but the, that you shouldn't um, you shouldn't build the, that, that that you shouldn't rebuild the original city. But once it was built, you can live there and you can even continue to build it. They understand apparently that the that that, that the banana vim they, they didn't just live there. I was suggesting before that after Chiel built it, the banana vim moved in. They, they apparently understand that the, the Banana Vim lived in the actual Yericho, and that was built by, not by Chiel, by others, that, that was built by, uh, that, that was an older city, that, 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 that already was rebuilt earlier, I don't know who built it, so the Rechaim Berlin suggests that maybe non-Jews built it, and even if Yisraelim built it uh, improperly, Jews were allowed to live there, but the, so, so the, old, the old Yericho, the original Yericho had already been rebuilt, apparently, and Jews were living there, the Banana Vim were living there, and Chiel did the other violation of the Chayrim, of the Ar. He built a new city and called the Yericho on some other spot, and he was punished for that. But according to these, according to these, according to these Achronim, similar to what we said from Chazal and the, and the Radak, that, 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 the, that you're not supposed to rebuild the city, but once you do, the curse is lifted, you can live there, you can, maybe you can even continue to build it. Maybe you can even continue to build it. So the, that is the, that, that's the sheet of some Achronim. There's also there, there there's there's also a position of the Mesha of the Meshachachma, from Mayor Simcha of Dvinsk. He says that there is that even though the Radak compares Yericho to Eranidachas that it was burned and it was destroyed, there is and there is a difference. That Eranidachas, the Torah says that not only do you have to burn the city and put it to put it all to the fire, it says that the city should just be a ruin, a pile of rubble, should never be rebuilt. That Irani Dachas it says explicitly that you can't rebuild it, but Yericho, once it was built, you're allowed you're allowed to rebuild it even if the even if it got destroyed again and the, the the curse is lifted. Once it was rebuilt once, you can rebuild it a second time. And furthermore, he says only a yachid, only individuals are not allowed to rebuild it. The tzibur, the tzibur is allowed to rebuild it. And yachidish, that all of Klai Yisrael together would decide to rebuild it. That's okay. Ar ha'ish and in, individuals who. Uh, Individuals who, uh, who individuals who want to build Yericho are not allowed to do it, but the but the individuals individuals are not allowed to rebuild it. But the tzibur has a right to rebuild it. Furthermore, he brings a mission in Sanhedrin. Rabbi Akiva says that lo od, that's vederi dachas. It says lechmosha haisa in nivnes. You can't rebuild it the same way. Avonas is ginos You can build uh, you can build it differently. You can build it with ginos and pardesim. So, it, so it's only it's only it's, it's only rebuilding it the same way. So that there are certain terrors. Some say if it was built, you, know, you shouldn't rebuild it. But if it was built, you can live there. Some say once it was rebuilt, you can even rebuild it again. Some say the tibur is allowed. To, the tibur is allowed to rebuild it. 
So, that, so there are a lot of exceptions and uh, exceptions and possible uh, limitations of this of this of this curse. Whatever the curse was, Chiel did violate it. But the fact that people live there is, uh, is 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 a fact. It's a fact that's attested to in Tanakh and in Chazal, and therefore apparently uh, one one or more of these of these heterim must apply because the. Because we find that they, we, we, because we, we find that people actually live there. Another interesting point is that the there's a Rambam. The Rambam writes. The Rambam writes in Maranavuchim. So the Rambam has an interesting idea there. He says that the Torah has a the Torah the Torah has a um, a concern. The Torah wants us to the Torah wants us to remember, the, remember and understand the great miracles that, uh, that Hashem performed for us, performed for the Jews in the desert. So he writes that the, that, that the, the Radak brings actually on our, actually on our, on our, on our, on our, on our parak, on Yeshua Perik Vav, the, the Radak brings the Rambam that the reason Yericho wasn't supposed to be rebuilt, he says, is because, he says, the Chachma God will bring the Moshe Bar Maimonzel, so the Rambam, we don't have an actual commentary of his on Tanakh, but, but in his Mar Nebuchim, in his philosophical work, he says many things that involve explanations of Tzukim in, in, in Tanakh. So the Rambam writes in Mar Nebuchim that the Hashem, wanted a, a, uh, Hashem wanted evidence and a, a, concrete, a, concrete, uh, a concrete memorial to the nace to remain intact for generations. That the, that the wall we discussed whether the wall toppled over or sank in the wall seems to have, have seems to have sunk in where it was Rambam says anyone who anyone who would see the anyone who would see the wall so you can see a difference between a wall that was knocked down by invaders it was crashed it was battering rams the, the, the wall would be thrown on its side or broken into pieces all over the place but a wall that sank into the ground looks a lot different. You can just see, you know, it's not rocks all over the place. It's not a broken wall. It's a wall that just exists as a wall below the surface of the earth. So Hashem wanted people to see the, the, the wall of Yericho intact below the earth. So they can see what happened. They would realize it was a nace. It wasn't just that the Jews came with battering rams and smashed the walls. It was a, it was a great nace for Hashemayim that the wall sank in. And that's why the Rambam told us, that's why the Rambam says, like Yeshua said, leave it alone. Leave the site as a... As a memorial, so people can see not just as a you know, simple shot on the pasuk is leave the city as a memorial, as an empty city, so everyone should know what happened here. This was the this was the conquest of Eureka. But the Rambam adds this extra point that the the Rambam adds this extra point that that that, that the, he wanted actual evidence of of what happened. People could inspect the site and see, wow, what happened to this wall? The wall is intact; it's just below the ground. How did that happen? That would be uh, that would be evidence. That would be a concrete image of what Hashem did for the for the walls of Yericho. The, the Rambam earlier. Interesting question. Does anybody suggest that there was a limited time that uh, that it sunsetted that only for a certain amount of time? I don't recall seeing that, but I, I didn't do exhaustive research, so I, I don't know. It's an interesting question, but I don't know. I, I, I mentioned recently. I don't know if it was in this chair or in another context. I mentioned that there, there was a uh, one of the most famous post-Talmudic bands, harems, uh, that we have in Aramisara 
is in this class. Okay, we, we discussed Rabbeinu Gershom, who said that Rabbeinu Gershom instituted a number of communal edicts, and one of them was that uh, against polygamy and against unilateral divorce. And there we have a tradition that there that that the some Rishonim recorded a tradition that there was a built-in sunset, and it only applied till the end of Elif HaChemishi, the end of the fifth millennium. Now we're up to the year five thousand seven hundred eighty-three, so about seven hundred eighty-three years ago. It's sunset. Even those who say it's sunset say we still have a minhag to, to abide by it, but the full power of the cherem expired. And some say the reason for that was because when the when the rabbis added rules to the Torah that 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 that, that, that went beyond what the Torah actually says, they wanted to show that that we're not adding mitzvahs to the Torah. The Torah says lo sosifu, you can't add mitzvahs to the Torah. So by making it have a sunset, they have an expiration there. They were saying this is not a mitzvah of the Torah. This is just a rabbinic mitzvah, which is limited. By that logic, maybe there could have been a sunset here as well. I don't think I saw anyone who says that, says that but it's, uh, it would have, I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone does. Right, so the suggestion is maybe it was only for people who were there, but the, the, the story in Malachim indicates not like that because it says that Chiel, who lived hundreds of years later in the time of the kings and time of Achav, was, was still guilty of the Cherem, so, so the Navi is pretty explicit that it, was still, it, it still did apply at that time as well. So, so the Rambam says that the reason we were supposed to keep the, the city as, as destroyed is so everyone could see the evidence of the great Nase. The Rambam earlier, another, another example he gives of this idea, he says when the Torah lists in great detail, painstaking detail, Beginning of Parashas Masay, it lists all the all, all the points that the Jews traveled in the desert. What is the relevance of all that? Why do we have to know, you know which route they took and which cities they stopped at? So the Rambam says, we know the Chumash tells us that Hashem did great nisim for the Jewish people. He kept them alive in an Eretz Tzio Shemama, in a desolate and uh, inhospitable land, a, a hostile land. He kept them alive with the man, the manna, and the, the water. The, he kept them alive through great miracles. Now, if you read the Torah and you would just say the Jews were in the desert 40 years, Hashem kept them alive. You would say, okay, desert. What does desert mean? You know, does desert can mean there was grass growing, there was an occasional tree, it wasn't uh, the fertile crescent, but maybe, okay, maybe it was, maybe they found stuff to eat. The Ramam tells you, the, the Ramam says, the Torah tells you this is where they were. And these place names don't mean that much to me, but apparently if you lived in that part of the world at that time, you knew these places. This was not the desert with trees and bushes. This was a desert like those... Uh, a stereotypical desert, nothing but sand for miles around and, you know, the, the sun beating down. This was not a desert that there were any, there's anything to eat. This was a, a real desert, the, the classic quintessential desert. And that's why you're supposed to appreciate the great nace that Hashem did. This is where they were traveling, and Hashem kept them alive anyway. Then he goes on and gives this example of Yericho that the Torah said, uh, Yeshua said, leave Yericho the way it is, leave the wall the way it is, so everyone can see the, so everyone can see what exactly was happening in Yericho. What happened in Yericho? So I saw the. I saw also they bring that that they bring that that one of the Akronim says that insofar as we go with this Rambam, that, that that the key point was to was to show everyone the, the was to show everyone the great nace that happened, the great nace that happened in the in Yericho. So the the key point was the key point was to preserve the well, the key point was to preserve the walls. So they, he brings that. I saw they they bring from a sefer. About the, 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 a Chacham named Rabbi Yosef Schwartz, author of Tzvuah Saaretz, and his Sefer Priharetz, he has an entry on Yericho, he says, he suggests a Chiddush, Yeshua only cursed the, Yeshua only banned rebuilding the wall, because the wall was where the Nase occurred. 
can build the houses. If you want to leave the wall the way it is, people can see the wall. Build the houses. You can go into the city. Just don't build the wall. Chiel apparently built the wall, but the walls were important back then. But the but the, the, he, he suggests the he suggests the cherem. According to this Rambam, the cherem was really only against the rebuilding the wall. Not again, chiddush, but he, the cherem is only against rebuilding the wall, not really against rebuilding the the, the, the habitations, the houses inside the, the the houses inside the city. Okay, so we have these various approaches of what exactly happened to Yericho. Again, it was the, the, the navi is explicit that Chiel in the time of Achav rebuilt it and was punished terribly for it, like exactly as Yoshua had said. Nevertheless, the, there are some heterim to, to live in it once it was rebuilt, to continue rebuilding it once it was rebuilt. To uh, and we and indeed we find that Yericho remained a, uh, a living Jewish city for hundreds of years afterwards in the time of the later uh, Sefer Malachim and in the time of, and, and in Chazal. There's another pasuk here, another note. Uh, also, there, there's a in Brachas it says that the, there, there's a bracha you make when you pass the side of a nace. So it says the it says that one of the things is if you pass the wall of Yericho, if a person if a person if a person encounters the walls of Yericho, the if, if, a, if a person encounters the walls of Yericho, he makes a bracha, the, the bracha of Hashem made nisim for us, Haroa Mavra Sayam, where they cross the sea at at, uh, at, at the Exodus. Mavros Yardain, the spot where they crossed the Yardain, Chomas Yericho, Shnivlam Makoma, the walls of Yericho that were swallowed in place. So Al Kulan, Saroshitin, Shvach, Hodav, Shvach, Vayamachim, you have to give praise. Gemara said you have to give praise to Hashem. So Gemara discusses exactly what happened to the wall. It says, Chomas Yericho, Nivla. Did the wall of Yericho really sink into the ground? Vahnafla. The Pasuk earlier describes it as, Vatipala Choma Tachtel. So the so the Gemara says no. It actually was Nivla. It explains it actually was Nivla. The wall was Nivla. If you actually pass that spot, you make a you make a bracha. You give shvachva dalamakam. I don't know that we know exactly where that spot is, whether it's uh, it is it is in the Karn Yericho or not. But the the Chazal acknowledge that that's one of the the, the mission of the Gemara. They also talk about one who sees one who sees Eishes Lot makes a bracha. There are all kinds of tour guides who will tell you. Uh, Different, different ge- geological, geographic features are Asia's Lot. All of this obviously is uh, not entirely uh, verified and authenticated, but there is a halacha that if someone actually knows where, where the wall of Yericho is, you, you, what day would you read the Megillah in Yericho? So we know, of course, that the, Lewis is alluding to the, the famous halacha that, uh, in Megillah that you read the, we, we read the Megillah generally on the 14th, but cities that were Mokafas Choma, Bimos Yeshua Benun, read the Megillah on the 15th. So if a person actually knows where Yericho is, biblical Yericho, Yericho that, that would seem to count as walled city in the time of, uh, of Yeshua, and presumably you would read it on the 15th. I don't, I'm sure there's discussion about this in, uh, I'm sure there's discussion about this in the postkim. I didn't look it up, so I'm not actually, uh, I, I don't actually know for sure what they say, but I would guess, presumably, it would be considered Mokafas uh, Choma. Uh, the wall fell down when Yeshua knocked it down, but uh, But I would assume that that counts as. I would assume that that does count as Mukefes Choma, but I, I would have to. I would have to look into it. I'm not. Actually, I'm not absolutely certain. So, the, the last pasuk in Perik Vav, it says, "Vayhi Hashem es Yoshua, Hashem was with Yoshua, Vayhi Shamo b'chol haaretz, and his fame, his reputation, spread throughout the land." What does "Vayhi Shamo b'chol haaretz" mean? So again, Kipshuto it means. That the that Pshuto means that his reputation, that the fact that Hashem was with him, spread throughout the land. That the that everyone 
that, 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 that everyone knew about, the, what, that Hashem was with Yeshua, performing miracles, uh, conquering impregnable cities with, uh, with, with uh, famous fortifications. That's uh, the, the reputation of Yeshua uh, spread throughout the land. There is a midrash that appears in, uh, in various places that says that his fame spread throughout the land refers to something a little more concrete. Uh, gracious Rabbah. Gracious Rabbah says that uh, Gracious Rabbah says Arbaheim Shiyatsulem Monitin Ba'olam. There were four people whose monitin, they had medals or coins, they had a concrete uh, symbols of their, uh, of their life or of their, uh, of their personalities spread throughout the world. Avram, Yoshua, David, and Mordechai. Avram, Hashem said, Ve'eskel that, that I'll make you a great nation, and it says Yatzelam Monitin, that's a reference to uh, a concrete symbol of his fame, is uh, spread throughout the world. Mahu Monitin Shalom, what was his medal, what, what was his, uh, his icon? Zakein Uzakeinu Mikan, an elderly man and woman on one side, Bachur Basula Mikan, a young man and a young woman on the other side, referring to the great nace that Hashem... Achrei Belosi, Haisili Edna, they're referring to the great nace that Mimi Leila Avraham, Hanika Banim Sarah, that Hashem brought them back to their youth. That was the, the great nace of the great fame of Avraham, that Hashem did this uh, fantastic thing for them, that they went from Zakin Yusakena to Bakr and Basula. Yoshua, it says, Vahi Hashem es Yoshua, Vaishon Bechal Haaret, Ar Pasuk, that is, again, his fame spread throughout the land. Chazal are interpreting it's not just fame in the sense of uh, word of mouth, it was actually a concrete. Uh, Symbol, a coin, a medal of, of his uh, of, of his greatness. Mahu, what was his medal? Shor mikan v'reim mikan. A shor on one side, an ox on one side. Reim mikan. Reim is a difficult animal to translate. The, the reference is to a pasuk in Bezos Habracha when Yos- when Moshe blesses the various tribes of Israel on his deathbed. So when he gets to Yosef, who was the ancestor of Yeshua, Yeshua came from Ephraim. So he said about he said about Yosef, Bechar shoro hadarlo. Difficult pasuk to translate. The Mefarshim all have different. Uh, to, it's poetry. It's it's, it's nevuah. It's hard to translate. Uh, it's not entirely clear what this means. But we do know that both in Parshas Vayechi and in Parshas Bezos Bracha, there are a lot of animal metaphors. The, the the tribes of Israel, the sons of Yaakov, the tribes of Israel are compared to variously several forms of lion, Gur, Arya, Yehuda, Lavi, uh, Lavi, Shachain. Uh, <coughs> um, Don uh, is compared to a lion here in here of Zos Abracha. Don Gerarye, Nachali is compared to Ayala uh, Shlucha, and so on and so forth. The Zacher is a Hamar. So the the, the Nevi'im used a lot of animal animal comparisons. So Yosef is compared to a shark and a ram. Bechar Sharo Hadarlo, Bekarne Ram Karno. The shark is an ox that we know. A ram is less clear. Art scroll. Translates Reim. They just say Reim. They don't want to get into what the translation is. In modern Hebrew, modern scholarship assumes that the Reim is an antelope or an oryx, also a, a, a group, a family of antelopes. So the so Yeshua had, uh, again, a reference to the Paschim Yeshua. It doesn't say exactly what Shor and Reim is, but it says that Bukhar Shor Karnav, so Yeshua's medal. His symbol was a uh, kind of like the, the ancient medieval heraldry. We know that on the banners, Parshva Midbar, we know about the Degolim, they, the tribes had banners, Midrashim say they had the animals that they were symbols of or other things on the banners. So that's how the world works. That, that, that's what people do. They, they have uh, you know, symbols or animals to represent some, some quality of their... Uh, so Yeshua's medal had, Yeshua's coin had, uh, 
Ashar on one side, Re'em on the, what do they call it, uh, obverse and reverse when it comes to coins, the front and back. David HaMelech. It says, And the, David's reputation spread in all, throughout all the lands. And again, Kipshuto just means everyone talked about him, but Chazal say it means he had a medal, he had this coin that was minted uh, commemorating his fame. What was his coin? He had a stick and a shepherd's bag. He killed Goliath, he was still a shepherd. He, had, he killed him with his shepherd's equipment. Migdal Mikan, Migdal David, he had a tower, his fame, his success as king. So again, it shows the kind of, the, just like with Avram, it shows the, his, his path in life, his ascendance from uh, what Hashem did for him. Migdal David Savarich, fine. Mardachai, it says, it says in the Megillah, Megillah's Esther, it says, He godl Mardachai bebeis ha-melech, v'shamo holech v'chol ha-medinos. Mardachai's reputation in the house of the king was great. And again, v'shamo and his reputation, his, his fame, spread throughout all the Medinos, again, it means Yatsala Monit in the Midrash says, Ma Monit in Shalom, what was his what was his symbolism, what was his heraldry? Sakva Efer Mikan, sackcloth and ashes on one side, and Vaterazov Mikan. Uh, initially when Haman passed the decree, it says Mardukha Yatza Mesamelah, we we read it with the Echatun, he was he was girding himself in sackcloth and ashes to Avelas as a form of Chuva and Fila Tashem to help them presumably. But later, when, 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 when the tables were turned, when Haman was executed and Mordechai and Esther were elevated, it says Mordechai went out, uh, we, 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 we all read that passage together, Mordechai Yatza Meisamelech, Bulvush Malchus, Tchelas Vachur, Vaterazov, and so on. So he wore the gold diadem, a gold crown. So again, the, the medal shows that he went from Sakva Efer to Me'afela La'orah, Mishibud Legeula, he went from Sakva Efer to Aterazov. So it's interesting that three out of the four Monit in here Avram, Dover, and Mordechai, the, the two sides all have a, a common theme. They all show uh, more humble origins or you know, more, more distressed or humble origins. Avram was Zakin Sakena. He was, uh, he was uh, quite depressed about his childlessness. Anochi Halechariri. And then Bachur Basula. And then he, had, then he had Yitzchak. David started out as a humble shepherd, Machel Vatarmil, and then he was Migdal David. He was the king of the king of Israel with the towers, with the tower. Mordechai started out as Sakva Efer, but then he ended up with uh, Terazov. He ended up with glory and, uh, and fame and so on, power. Yeshua is the exception. Yeshua is the only one that the two sides of his coin don't seem to show any uh, before and after, any kind of progression. One side was a Shar, one side was a Reim. I mean, they both, they both, uh, they both represent presumably power or force or something. Interesting that Yeshua doesn't have a, uh, the same kind of. Uh, I don't have anything to say about that, but that Yeshua seems to be a different pattern. What exactly is a is a Shar and a Reim? What's the significance of these two? So Rashi says Rashi brings a midrash of free in, in Parshas Vezosabracha. Rashi says. What, what are the relative, uh, what are the differences between a shor and a rain? Shor is koch, kosha, an ox represents power, an ox can, can pull burdens, an ox can gore, an ox is a, a, a heavy, a, a beast that has power and strength. However, however, the ain karnav knows. Its horns are not particularly attractive. Rain, karnav knows, it has beautiful horns. In Kachokasha, it doesn't have the same power. Antelope, you know, antelope was built for speed or built for, uh, but, but, it, but the horns maybe are for, I don't actually know what antelopes do with their horns or oryxes, but uh, apparently the, whatever a ram is, according to the Midrash, it has, it has attractive horns, but not very strong ones, and therefore it's not very strong, and therefore Yeshua had both. Yeshua was given, I, mean, I guess you could say it was the worst of both or the best of both, but obviously these are brachas that are meant to, uh, to, to emphasize the good, so we say that Yeshua had 
the best of both, Yeshua had Nasan the Yeshua, Kochosh Shar, Yeshua, the great descendant of Ephraim, of Yosef, had the power of Ashar, the Yofi Karne Re'aim, and it had the beauty of the Karnaim of Re'aim. Again, I don't know what beauty here means literal physical attractiveness, or it means beauty in people admired, and uh, people, uh, people found him an attractive person, they respected him, but whatever it is, it says Yeshua had had uh, the, the good qualities, uh, the, he combined the good qualities of the Shar and the Re'aim, he had the power of the Shar, and the Yofi, the beauty of the Re'aim. Yes? Oryx and other animals use their horns uh-huh. to fight, especially other, other to, to get more females. Right. Where their harem, so maybe they'll be this fighting quality. Right. So, so one could learn that Ra'im is uh, is this fighting quality. Many animals, Oryx is apparently included, use their horns as uh, to battle over mates. You know, animals sometimes battle over territory, over mates. Some animals use horns, I think, more as uh, as, as like a mating display. They, they they just like peacocks with their feathers. They just show them off somehow. But yeah, but I so, so I, I'm not you know, that familiar with oryxes. But yeah, it could be they were fighting. The Safri says they were noyim. They weren't strong. They were noyim. Um, I just fa- I found this very interesting that the in 2006 in Tavshin Samachvav, the Israeli mint, the Holy Land mint. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is a. I'm not sure if this is an official government body or if this is just a uh, private company in Israel that does this. But uh, it has a .com web address, so so I'm not sure if this is an official government institution. But they actually decided to mint coins to to, to concretize this midrash to to bring it into the modern period. They actually not coins, and they're not they're not currency, but they actually they actually minted silver and gold medals. That uh, for a set of four to act in both in both silver versions and gold versions to commemorate you know, to, to, to actualize this midrash and Yeshua is sure enough on one side they put uh, they put Bukhar, they, they put Bukhar Shoro Hadrlo and on the other side they put Karne Reim Karnov the antelope you can see uh, pictures of what they look like this is this is the silver version this shows the the antelope the Karne Reim Karnov the gold the gold version is. Uh, so the, so the the mint has these ha, produced these medals. You can come, you, you you can get your own version of the midrash of Yeshua with his bechard and the ones for Avram and, uh, and David and uh, and Mordechai as well. You can get your own medals that commemorate bechar sharahadrolo v'karnei reim karnav, and that is the that, that 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 that's what they have. If you have the money for it, you can buy your very own uh, your, your 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 very your very own commemorations of this possible. So we'll, we'll move on now to the, to the next parak, the Parak Zion. So Parak Zion tells the story, begins with the story, tells the story of Achan, the, the, the tragedy of, the, of Achan, who was, who, who was Moel B'cherem, he violated B'cherem, and he was, uh, the Jews suffered for it in punishment, and eventually Achan was, was punished, was executed, uh, a, a terrible tragedy. The entire parak is going to be a uh, very, very depressing parak. There might be some inspirational aspects to the story as well, but it is a uh, some, some interesting halachic aspect. But it is a uh, not one of the the more uh, glorious chapters in the in, in the conquest of Eretz Canaan. So Perak Zayin Pasuk Aleph, Bayim Alu Bnei Yisrael Mal Bacherem, the the Jewish people the Bnei Yisrael committed a uh, a meila. Meila is a Hebrew word. It, it doesn't translate so easily into English. Meila, there's an entire Masechta in, in Mishnah, in Mishnah named Meila. Uh, so so Meila means to, to violate a trust, to, to, to violate uh, rights that are not yours. It's not typically used in, in, in the simple sense of theft. If I steal from a private individual, if I embezzle or I steal or I, I pull for funds, 
We don't usually call that Meila in the halakhic sense. Meila in, in, in Masechus Meila, Meila in, in, in Mishnah and Talmud, typically means from Hektish. It means you, you violated uh, the rights of Hektish by taking or using Hektish property, a carbon or stuff from the temple treasury, for your own benefit in an unauthorized way. That's Meila. They translate Meila here as they committed a trespass in the consecrated thing. Mal Becherem means a trespass in the consecrated thing. Again, trespass in English, if you walk across somebody's lawn, you're trespassing. But, but in Hebrew, in the word Meila, we don't, we don't simply use it in the, in the broad sense of trespass. We typically use it to mean the trespass in a consecrated thing. In a, uh, in, uh, we, we use it in other senses as well. So, for example, Sota. A woman who is unfaithful to her husband, suspected of infidelity, we say umala mal beisha. She uh, violated you know, his, uh, his his rights, his right to have his expectations of her. She was mal mal. So again, that's, that's not hectish, but again, it's the sanctity of the marital bond. It's not simply used to mean embezzlement, but it's uh, usually used in the sense of uh, the sense of either kedusha or some kind of sacred right. And Trespass, using an old English understanding that that's a different kind of important uh-huh. than the call today. Ah, so legal English, the, the, the word may not mean exactly. That's why you see no verbs all the time. Ah, okay. In fact, the word trespass. So, what happened? What 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 was this actual trespass? What occurred? Achan, who is, uh, we give his genealogy all the way back to Yehuda. Yehuda had two children, Peretz and Zerach. Peretz and Zerach, they're mentioned in Pashas Vayeshev, the twins uh, that he had with Tamar. So Achan, the son of Karmi, the son of Zavdi, ben Zerach, Ramaka Yehuda, he, was, he, he took from the Cherem, Vayikach, he took from the Cherem. Vayicharaf Hashem b'vnei Yisrael. And Hashem was angry, was angry at the Jewish people. So the, the obvious question on the, on the wording of this Pasuk is that what happened? Achan, one man, one man violated the cherem. The pasuk says, "Vayimalu bnei Yisrael mal." The Jewish people violated the cherem. Hashem was angry at the Jewish people. We're about to see that the Jewish people suffered a, uh, a defeat in battle because of this. The, so again, apparently, the, the navi describes the Jewish people as violating the cherem. It, uh, it says that Hashem was angry at the Jewish people. The Jewish people were punished. One man did it. Why are we describing this as the? Why are we describing this as the? A sin of the Jewish people. So the Mefarshim explain. The Mefarshim explain that the that the you know they asked all bad guys. How is this fair? That to punish the whole Bnei Israel for the for the sin of one man. It says that the Torah famously says La Yumsu Avos Albanim. The Torah doesn't believe that, that in, pun- in punishment for other people's sins, even, even family members, each man shall die for his own sin. Why are the Jewish people being punished for, for one man, for Achan? He says, he really have the same question the Torah itself says, it of an Avos Albanim. In Aserah Sedibris, it says Hashem does punish children for their uh, children. So the Rabbah gets into the, the theology of this at length. The... The Matunas David says, why, why is the Meila being... We'll, we'll, we'll return to the Ralbag hopefully another time. We, we, we are actually a little bit ahead of what I prepared, so, I, so we're just, so just going to get into the basic... Uh, some of the basic points now. So the Matunas David says, Al shamru ke'ilu, ke'ilu, uh, ke'ilu kula malu. 
they were responsible for each, uh, each, each, each person was supposed to watch others, and eat, there was a collective responsibility to enforce compliance with the Chayim, there, there, was, there, was, there, was there was a collective responsibility. Of course, Hashem is not going to punish people for things someone else did they had no control and knowledge of. But they had a responsibility to keep the Chayim, to, to, to make sure the Chayim was, was, was honored. <coughs> and therefore, they were delinquent in their duty to make sure the Chayim was followed. We actually mentioned this earlier, we anticipated this, back when it says, back in Perek Vav, Pasuk Yudches, it says, Varakatem Shimru the Yeshua said that the air should be a cherem, pasuk yizayin v'haisa air cherem he. Then in Yerches it said v'rakatem shimur min a cherem pentachrimu lekachta min a cherem. So at the time we mentioned, the, the Radak says, what does shimur min a cherem mean? Shimru atmechem, each man shall guard himself, shall take care of himself, not to violate the cherem, and also v'shimru wishes achim. Each person should also guard his uh, his fellow Jews if they shouldn't do it. amar chati Yisrael. Later in our parak, Hashem is gonna, Hashem, when Hashem is going to tell Yeshua why they lost the battle of the eye, he's going to say, Chate Yisrael. Again, the same thing. Bnei Yisrael were Moel. Hashem was angry at Bnei Yisrael. Chate Yisrael. Hashem didn't say Chate Achan, Chate one man. Hashem said Chate Yisrael. Kla Yisrael as a whole is being held accountable here. So the Radak says that this is because the people had a collective responsibility to make sure that everyone respected the Cherem and they were all punished for that. This idea, one famous application of this idea, occurs in a, appears in a famous discussion of the Rambam and the Ramban on Parashas Vayishlach. So Vayishlach describes the, the abduction, the rape of Dina. Shechem, Shechem ben Hamar, the prince of the, prince of the, city of, of the eponymous city of Shechem, he abducts Dina and he molests her. And Shimon and Levi carry out a bloody retaliation. They, they, they massacre the whole city. So many of the great Jewish thinkers were troubled by this. Collective punishment? One man. One man is guilty. Shem is guilty. Why, why did the whole city deserve to be massacred? So there are various approaches given by the Mepharshim. One of the approaches is Rambam. Rambam says that the non-Jews have the seven Noachide laws. One of them is dinim. Dinim is a, is a broad term, which means different things to various commentaries, but according to the Rambam, included in dinim is, dinim means, or dinim includes, the obligation to establish a system of law and to enforce that law and to, and to, and to ensure accountability for crime, for sin. People cannot get away with uh, reprehensible behavior. When Shechem abducted Dina, he should have been held accountable. He should have been uh, hauled in front of a court and tried and punished for, for his sin. The people of Shechem had that responsibility. They turned a blind eye. They chose not to do that. Therefore, they were guilty of a, of a grievous violation of the Noahide laws, and they were therefore themselves guilty of a, of a capital offense. Other commentaries have a lot of trouble with this Rambam. They say, first of all, in a practical sense, this is not the 21st century America where even, where even uh, presidents can be put on trial and have special and prosecutors and no one's above the law. That's not how the world used to work. The, 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 someone who's a prince, uh, he's the boss, he's the king, they're in charge. You can't tell the king, no man is above the law. I want to hold, we have independent branches of government. I want to pull you in front of the judicial branch. You know, that's not the way the world worked. Uh, can you really hold the people of Shem responsible? If it was a simple person, maybe they should have tried him. But to try the, the prince, uh, that's not realistic. Furthermore, they argue that even if we say that a non-Jew is, is punished for violating the seven Noahide laws, 
actively, if he, if he commits adultery, if he commits murder, then, then yes, then, then he's executed. But for a, for a passive failing to, to try somebody, is that a capital offense for failing to do their duty? So a lot of, a lot of other Ramban, other Mepharshim have trouble with this Rambam, they, they have trouble understanding this, but the basic idea is there. The basic idea is that the, the Rambam says that upholding the law, that holding people accountable, that itself is, uh, so we're saying a little differently here, we're saying that they should have prevented the meal in the first place, but the same idea, that the, it's not each man for himself, the society has, has, has a duty to, uh, to uphold the law, to, to, to try to prevent, prevent sin and crime in the first place, to hold, to hold sinners and criminals accountable, and they themselves will be punished if they don't do that. There is a Gemara, the Gemara is Darshani Psukim in Cheskel, possibly, I'm, or I'm not sure. It says, that the, it says there that at the time of the, of the Chorban, Chorban Bayez Rishon, so there was a whole debate whether everyone should be killed or only the Rishon. Initially, the Pasuk, the Pasuk says that the, Hashem said he would kill the Rishon, and he would kill everyone. So the, the, the Midas Harachim, I think, asked that, why everyone? Some of them sinned and others, others didn't sin, so why should we punish those who didn't sin? So the Midas Adin said, well, they should have uh, reprimanded, they, they should have tried to, uh, to halt the sin. They should have told them, you can't do this. So the Midas Rachlam said, but they wouldn't have listened. They were so far gone, they, they were so uh, intractable, they would, it, it, they would not have listened. So Hashem said, so the Midas Adin said, okay, that's true. Uh, objectively, uh, we acknowledge that that's true, that you're right, that they, they were so far gone, they wouldn't have listened. I know that, and you know that. But did they know that? Did they were human beings. They, they, they had no. They, they didn't have this uh, this knowledge of what, how the how the sinners would react. They had an obligation to go out and protest. And Miyad Hashem said that was the deciding argument. Hashem said, "Okay, well, they're all guilty. They're all going to be punished. They're all going to be punished with the korban." So th- th- this is an area where the, to a certain extent, where the where the halacha is, you know, the, the halacha does believe in collective responsibility. Uh, collective punishment, collective responsibility, not just as uh, not just arbitrarily, but because th- there is a collective duty on society to try to uh, to try to prevent sin and punish sin, and those even those who don't sin, who are tzaddikim, if they fail in this duty to, to to prevent others from sinning, to punish others for sinning, they themselves are held responsible. We have yes. I think so. I, I, I think if they did whatever they could. And they didn't succeed. The, 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 right, the Gemara itself indicates that it, had they known for sure that they wouldn't listen, they, then they wouldn't have done anything wrong because there's nothing they could have done. But if they didn't know, they had, they had a duty to try it. If they couldn't know, they couldn't know for sure. They had a duty to do whatever they conceivably could have been affected. Yeah, if they can't do anything, then, then or, or, or if they tried, they did their utmost and they failed, then, then, then right, I think they would not be punished. So the this is also a, a famous midrash and a pasuk in Parshas Nitzavim. The Torah says that uh, that the Jews are going to sin and people are going to do idolatry, and Hashem is going to bring biblical fire and brimstone, gufres for melach, for chalartza, it's going to be like stone and amorah, and people are going to say, meh hurry, hafa what happened here? And the answer is going to be, because they, they, because they, uh, they, they violated Hashem's commands. And then the passage concludes, hanistaros l'ashem alokeinu, that the hidden things are, are for God, and the revealed things, lanu l'vonenu ad olam, are, are for us uh, forever. What does that mean? So there are different interpretations in the commentaries, but Rashi brings that this means that we're discussing collective punishment. We're discussing the, the, the question of whether Hashem will punish the whole nation for the sins of individuals. And the answer is, it depends. 
Hanisteros, things that people do privately that nobody knows about. Lashem Elokeinu, that's uh, Hashem's affair. That's not our responsibility. If we don't know about it, we can't do anything about it. The Haniglos, the things that are revealed, sins that are done in public that uh, that we are aware of, we have a duty to to stop it, to punish it. That's Lanulufanenu. That's our responsibility. We have to act. We have to do whatever we can. And if we don't, then. Uh, and then um, we'll be punished. And so that's the idea of Chazal. There are, enti- there are entire, there's an entire body of halacha about this. When are you mechuyiv to reprimand somebody? When are you not mechuyiv? They will listen. They won't listen. You're not sure if they're going to listen. You have to protest at least once, even if they won't listen, just to show that you don't accept it. There's all kinds of rules. But, the, but basically, this is the idea of the Torah, that Jews, we, we, we have the expression, kol Yisrael arevim zelazeh, all Jews have responsibility to each other. And that the, and that would, that's what happened. Uh, that, that's what we've seen. The Radak and the Metzudas David. That that's what happened with Achan, Chata Yisrael, Bayimalu, Bnei Yisrael Mal. We actually consider them. We actually consider the whole people to have sinned, because the Hashem was angry at the entire people because they should have they should have made an effort. Apparently, 